1: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 94. Today's episode is all about why we might still feel empty even after we've accomplished our goals and what
0: to do about it. When we start to recognize how much choice we actually have in our day, that we're not even choosing, we're just autopiloting. Every remarkable thing that's happened in our lives has happened, we call it by chance, right? You met someone at a party by chance. You found out that you love this thing because something by chance, but somehow we try and engineer everything remarkable. We're like, oh, if I do this, then that nothing remarkable happens that way. So we have to put ourselves in the way of chance. The way to do that is really very simple. In order for your mind to start rewriting new things, to come to be charged up again about the thing you always do, you have to engage in emotion. And then you have to have an experience that could not be repeated the exact same way twice. And then the third is you have to embed it by telling another person in the old way of storytelling, like human to human. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love.
1: Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi friends and wild people! Have you ever had a goal that you worked really, really hard for, for months or maybe even years, and then when you finally accomplished it, it just didn't feel as great as you thought it would, or you still felt a little bit empty? It's actually pretty common, which is why there are so many little cliché sayings that speak to it in one way or another, like, it's all about the journey, not the destination, or even the grass is always greener on the other side. Those idioms might sound a little bit different, but what they're both saying is that often what we're reaching for isn't what's really going to make us happy. So if that's the case, you've got to wonder, is there really any point to having any goals if they aren't gonna fulfill us anyways? I'm gonna give you a little teaser just to avoid that case where somebody only listened to the intro and all of a sudden is going around saying, Melissa said we shouldn't have any goals. Well, the teaser is yes, Yes, you should have goals, but there are important ways that we should choose and strive for these goals if we want them to feel meaningful to us. And today's interview is super fun because I absolutely love our guest. She's one of those people that I'm just proud to know because even though she's hugely successful, she's also super down to earth and funny and enlightening. Her name is Kelsey Ramsden and she is my friend And also an award winning business mogul and entrepreneur. She's actually ranked among the top women entrepreneurs in the world. After achieving every single milestone she set out for, scaling multiple companies to millions of dollars, she still didn't feel complete. So she started to study why. And today we will learn why your big moment is often underwhelming, how to define yourself outside of your success and how to talk yourself up when you need power for the next step. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the morning mind love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, and you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless, so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Kelsey Ramsden to the show. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. So I'm so excited to dive into your story because I feel like every time I uncover a new story about you, I'm just even more intrigued. So to start out, you are hugely successful in business. You're named one of Canada's top female entrepreneurs, but your latest book is all about the success hangover. So I'm curious what led to that and what does the success hangover even mean?
0: Yeah, great. So I'll tell you what a success hangover means and then I'll tell you how I got mine. Not unlike many other hangovers, it follows a glorious time, like such a good time. And then you wake up and go, what the heck did I do? So a success hangover is really that point in time where you've gone out and you've done what you set out to do. You arrive at the place you set out to arrive at, you achieve a goal. And then somehow, Upon arriving, you realize as opposed to feeling full and accomplished and like every other great thing you were going to get when you get there, as opposed to whole, you feel hollow, like there's something else or it doesn't resonate the way you thought it would. And so for me, from the outside, what that looked like was all these people saying you arrived, but I didn't feel that way. I actually felt like I was, you know, it's like I got the wrong directions. So I was like, no, this is not where I was. To- yeah, that's what the brochure said. It was going to be great. So for me, that looked like getting the MBA, starting the business, making the money, winning the awards, having the family, having the house and the kids and the cars and the trips, all the things that when I was 19 and thought, okay, what am I going to do? And with every subsequent accomplishment, I thought, okay, well, this is just a step towards the big thing. Right? Yeah, this is the undergrad. I need the undergrad to make the money. Okay, now I have the money. Now I need to buy some stuff with it. Okay, now I have the stuff. Now I need to use it. But every step just made me feel whether it was in more isolation from reality or whether it was more of an imposter because it felt like I was posing, you know, when I was on the cover of these magazines. It was like, oh my God, everyone's calling me and telling me how amazing I am, but I feel like shit. You know, (laughs) and so it for me. One fine day, you know, as we do, we have these kind of epiphany moments where I was like, "Look, I can live out this life that looks really great, looks super great, and it is great." I don't want to sound ungrateful for sure, but this isn't everything. This isn't totally where it's at. If I'm really true in the dark of the middle of the night when I can't sleep, I. I'm longing for something that's deeper and richer and more true to who I am than this idea of success. And so for me, that came as a wake-up call through cancer when I realized I had one ride on this blue marble and I was kind of wasting it doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do and not doing the things that really deeply make me feel purposeful and bring me joy.
1: One of the things that I teach is just how important developing that relationship with ourself is because, you know, it's really easy to get to that place where nothing that we've surrounded ourselves with is fulfilling us if we haven't actually taken that time to understand what fulfilled us. Did you do that work beforehand or did it take actually getting cancer to start figuring out what lit you up? Okay, so here's what's cool.
0: I was lit for a lot of years. I was doing it. But what I didn't realize was that as time passes, we change as human beings. And so what lit me up when I was 20, I thought was going to light me up when I was 30, but it didn't. And so I had done the work and was doing what lit me up, but I wasn't adapting often enough to really revisit, like, is this still what I love? Is this still what I love? Because I loved it. You know, it's like you loved someone in grade 11 and you wrote them notes and you kissed them behind the school. Was that the person? No, they were good for an era. They had a reason and then, you know, moving on. So we don't treat ourselves the same way. And so I did the work, I did what lit me up. I did not revisit it often enough to recognize that I was changing. And so what really drove me and resonated with me had to change too.
1: That is such a good point. I remember I got certified in skydiving. And so I was so pumped up about this. It was something that I had wanted for a really long time. And you have to go and you immediately jump out of an airplane by yourself. There's not like an intro period tandem or anything, (laughs) but you have to go 17 times before you're officially certified. So I did the 17 times and the moment that was over, I have honestly never had any sort of desire to go again. It was like I just wanted the certification or something like that. And for a long time, I felt guilty because I was like, what a waste of money all of that training was. And now I have this ability to go skydiving around the world like I wanted, but I don't want to anymore. So is it a waste or was it something that I was accomplishing in the moment? So I totally feel that.
0: Oh man, that's such a great point. And here's the rub for everyone who's listening, walking around feeling that same way or feeling guilty or feeling like they did something and they really should use it or whatever. It's such a sick and twisted thing to make ourselves feel terrible for having done something that worked at the time and then choosing to do something else that's going to work next. Because somehow as an adult, we hold ourselves to these accounts that like, it was fine when you were a kid to decide, I don't like that anymore. I'm choosing something different." And in fact, we were encouraged to do it all the time. Try this new thing. See if you like it. Try this thing. See if you like it. But then you find you like one thing and everyone's like, okay, now you shall herein and Heather after be a lawyer forever. (laughs) That's so true.
1: I'm curious when you did reach that point where you're like, wow, I have cancer. I'm not as invincible as I thought I was. What did you do to go back to figure out how you had changed over the years, or to adapt what you had been currently doing to make sure that you found more meaning in it?
0: So here's what started to happen. So at that time, I was on the cover of a number of magazines. It just so happened that month was the month all these mags published me. So everyone was coming up to me, being like all you know, super uncomfortably fangirled, (laughs) and then people be like, "So this is Kelsey Ramsey." You know, and shake your hand and tell you so. And I had to repeat this introduction over and over and over again. This thing that was like my CV, I'm Kelsey Ramsden something. Or, you know, the stage introduction and people say Kelsey Ramsden, blah, blah, blah. And I, it would turn my stomach because I was like, doesn't everybody know that life is not about all this shit that they're talking about? Like MBAs and money and magazines and blah, blah, blah. this ego driven. I got a little high on myself, actually. I was like, I'm so woke. But the thing about it, though, was that when I was feeling that, I was like, you know what? Whenever something really rubs me the wrong way hard, there's a lesson. So what is this lesson? Like, what's going on here? And I realized that I had been defining myself the exact same way. So the first step I took to figure out, like, what am I going to do next? It's nice. You know, I'm dying, whatever. I better do something if I have limited time. But what the hell am I going to do? I decided to figure out how I could introduce myself differently. Because I was so sick of my introduction. So instead of being, you know, Kelsey Ramsey in Canada's best entrepreneur, bleed, blah, 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 probably the lovely bio that you introduced me with. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna go back and edit that now. (laughs) Don't worry. But here's the thing, though. It's important. I don't want to diminish that. It's super important. It's very important. But The next level beyond that, what we really resonate with is, I'm Kelsey Ramsden, a creator who deeply values intimate connection. Why that matters is because every time I've been successful in life and felt it personally, lived feeling like I am in it to win it today and be like so full and so full of it, like just wanting it, was when I was creating something. And I was intimately connected to the outcome or the people involved. I'm not saying I haven't done things where that's not been the case. I've been Kelsey Ramsden creator, money grubbing, you know, hooligan who is creating things for a bunch of money and just selling my soul or whatever the case may be. But so I sat down and I listed all this stuff about what I've accomplished, you know, whether it's like MBA or house or businesses. And I just started listing like commonalities. Like in every case, I was creating something new. In every case, I felt an intimate connection. And so I would invite anyone who's listening to sit down and just list all the accomplishments you have or moments you had, whether or not you love them or not. But what were you doing that's kind of similar? And oftentimes, and more often than not, people will find that there's a a memory of them when they're like seven or eight years old and they were in their glory. And they were doing just that thing. You know, It's a, I think there's like this essential part of ourselves that's never changed. That's been our guiding light. And really, if we you know, we want to get a bit weird, like our soul's kind of purpose or energy. And seven-year-old Kelsey was doing that same thing, coming to life. And 43-year-old Kelsey, when she does that same thing, comes to life. Do you feel that way?
1: And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the morning mind love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30 minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. It's going back to those core values, and this keeps coming up for me this week. And so just a couple weeks ago, I went back and listed mine, but it's hard to just pick from a list because when you see a list of core values, honestly, (laughs) it's really hard not to want all of them. And so I went back and I was just sharing this recently, but I listed out these times in my life in childhood that I was the happiest or Mm -hmm. in adolescence that I was the happiest or when I was the most miserable and what those things were lacking. Mm -hmm. And I found out my number one thing, whether I was going to summer camp for the first time, or I was, you know, pushing the boundaries and trying to figure out how to break the rules while still getting straight A's in school. Everything was about freedom and not feeling held back by, Whatever societal standards or whatever parents were trying to tell me what to do, I've always really had this desire for ultimate freedom. And so that's been something that I've been trying to instill in everything that I do. Because if I'm building a business where I feel so tied to it that I can't take a weekend off or take an afternoon to go lay in the sun instead of do something else, then it feels like I'm trapped a little bit.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is where the rubber meets the road. Which is, it's lovely to have words and things and what have you. But if we don't start then making choices about our design of life based fundamentally on those things, then we're just going to wind up in the same spot. I get a lot of business opportunities brought to me that you want to invest in the thing or joint venture on the thing or whatever. And now, as opposed to how much money am I going to make, the first question is, is it creating something new? And do I feel any intimate connection to the outcome or the people? If it passes those litmus tests, okay, now we can talk about money. And I think just as you said, for you in building your business, if it doesn't echo freedom, it's a void, like a void at all costs. And so I think for anyone who's listening to think about like, that's the big door at the front of the castle. It's got to jump those couple hoops and then you can get into the practicalities. But usually we go practicality first, core desire second, and it's no wonder we wind up in these places where it's like, this isn't my life. Do you think you
1: had to learn that through experience or is it something where, you know, if somebody's learning this from the get-go, it's easier to just design your goals around these core values? I almost feel like most successful people that I know had some sort of moment where they're like, this isn't what I was going for. And that was the catalyst to learning that lesson.
0: Yeah. So there's this quote I read the other day. I don't know who said it, but someone much you know, more eloquent and, and smarter than me. But it was something about, I've never met a formidable person with an easy past. Mm-hmm. And I love that word formidable. You know, it means like I've got some scars and I can battle like hell and I can be beautiful and I can be in all my glory and you can feel it. I love that word. But in order to be that, you had to take a couple on the chin and have a broken heart and have a curious mind and question things. I wish I could say I could give you like the 10 point checklist to designing your dreams and living a pain free life. But I think, look, here's the thing. And I think of this every single day, first thing in the morning, because who knows what the hell is going to happen today for any of us, is that. Whatever amount of depth of pain I feel, in equal measure, that allows me to feel joy. And whatever amount of joy that I have, in equal measure, I will experience pain that low. It's relative, right? So, for people who are listening to this feeling like not great at all, I applaud you and I'm so stoked for you because now from where you sit, you're going to be able to feel the highest, most joyous high you've ever felt before and for the people on the best high ever enjoy it because you're going to get to the opportunity to learn something really rich and i think like i'm curious about your perspective actually and and i hope everyone else is too this pursuit of like always being happy and always just like everything being okay i think is leading most of us to feeling like a bunch of failures and feeling like crap half the time without getting the perspective that this is a part of the relative journey of life. And without that hard part, you don't get to be successful. It's just real. What do you think? I completely agree. It's like our capacity
1: to feel. And the reason that I know this is that I numbed my feelings for so long. I was either had to have people around. I was either taking copious amounts of party drugs. I was on Adderall every single day. I was binging and purging my food. Everything was about me escaping, having to sit alone with my feelings. Mm -hmm. And anyone around me would always praise me for how happy I was or how (laughs) I was always upbeat and I was (laughs) dying inside. It was crazy. And so in a way, there was a part of me that had this little bit of like positive thinking book reading had done. And so I was like, well, I'm winning. I'm like able to be happy. But then I would come home and Mm. I would be crying like a toddler so loud, like these uncontrollable body cries for no reason other than that. I was just slowly killing myself. So I guess (laughs) there was a reason, but it was like, I felt like a fraud in my own life and in my own happiness. And It took me getting in touch with my feelings and really valuing my feelings, being able to sit there and feeling gratitude when I want to cry or when I'm angry, because I know that like that's my body's way of expressing itself. And that's the way I interact with the world. And it's part of what I think even just connects us all.
0: Yeah. How about if just let's make it okay for people to feel like when things are bad, it's just bad. And when things are good, it's just good. And we don't have to pretend, you know, like I shouldn't have laughed when you were saying you were like, you know, killing yourself. But the reason <laughs> I that appreciate I'm it, laughing, <laughs> 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 no, but I'm laughing because anyone who's honest knows that we've all done that. We've all done it like I do it is I can tell when it's happening, like, oh, my God, I'm calling up people to do something because I'm having feelings. Oh, feelings. Wouldn't it just be okay? to just feel okay and I think that that piece of that thing is it's challenging like when I'm listening to podcasts and there's some successful person on with another successful person just like right now and they're talking about all this amazing stuff they've done and all these awakenings and I'm like I've not figured that out yet I'm bad or oh I do this I'm bad what if as opposed to like making ourselves feel shitty we just it's okay to observe it and go, maybe I'm not bad. Maybe I just have the opportunity to learn something or maybe I'm not above someone else. It's just, I happen to go through the ring of fire and they're on their way through and I'm here to greet them when they join me. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm feeling so much these days that this hierarchy of like be all together is creating An even worse situation for the people who haven't gone through the ring of fire just yet or who are actually on fire right now, right in the middle of it being like, how come I can't figure myself out? And I just want to invite all those people, because I know they'll be listening to recognize that you and me and every other person on any given popular show like yours are only here because we were you. And we still actually are most days, if we're honest.
1: Yeah, 100%. And it's a catch-22 a little bit because on one hand, for me, rising was a necessary part of just rising up in my life in general was seeing the examples of people who did it. But at the same time, what really helped was finding the people that I could actually relate to because a lot of the successful people, especially like 10 years ago before Brene Brown made vulnerability cool again, it was like people were really portraying themselves as perfect. And you see it today also in like the Instagram culture and whatever, but it's like, yeah, I tried this and it, it hit. And then I made a million dollars online overnight. And you're like, what? Like I've been trying like 20 different things. And it's funny because even now, like I was just telling somebody, I feel so in the middle I've surrounded myself with all of these successful, like multimillionaires in their early 20s that have all their businesses together. And I'm like watching their sales funnels. And I'm like, this is immaculate. How are you doing this? And then there's the other half of the people that I know that are looking up to me like, oh, my gosh, like you grew this podcast and this is amazing. And you're speaking and and you have these people who listen to you. That's amazing. But it feels like this kind of huge separation between either side. And I totally understand the imposter syndrome. Just the other day, I just had to do nothing. And I watched like a Love Island marathon and I don't even think that's a good show. So I was sitting there watching it being like, this is the biggest waste of my time ever, but I can't get up. And also I want chocolate and wine. (laughs) And so I feel it the whole time. And it's like missing this reality factor when you're only looking at other people's lives and trying to see how to get there, I guess.
0: You know what I and so to fold this right back into that moment of awakening for me with the cancer and really landing like what is success for me. And feeling less often like I'm looking up to other people is this idea of no one's gonna do it the way you do it. That's why so many people follow someone else and they're like, oh, but how did their launch win and mine flop? Or, oh, that person's following this diet and it's not working for me and all this kind of thing. Was for me going, wait a minute, just turns out that I'm surrounded by all these same people too. And they, actually are also looking at me going how does she do that there's parts of all of us that someone else is looking to doesn't matter where you are in the success hierarchy or whatever the case whoever you are listening wherever you are you have a someone who has said to you oh my god i wish i could put together clothes like you do or cook like that or organize this thing that way like there's always something that we do That people are looking up to us for and I think the imposter thing comes in when we start looking to other people and separating ourselves from that and going I don't have anything I really do that I'm wanting to get there this notion of never actually being where we are or being who we are this idea that like constant improvement is essential so in my mind because I'm a visual person I imagine uh you know, the Olympics, those people, the gymnasts, and they run along and then there's that whole, I think it's called a pommel horse or something. And they vault over it and they do a crazy flip and they land it, you know, that thing. Yeah. I imagine that like my life every day and everyone is waiting for the stock landing, but that's like one, one billionth of a second of the whole performance. Like there's the running and the part in the middle where you're like, holy fuck, am I going to make it? And there's a flip where you don't even know where you are in time and space, but you've just been trained to behave a certain way. (laughs) And then all of a sudden you hit something and you're like, okay, did it. Most of the time we're all in the running and the tumbling and the timelessness and spacelessness and unsure of like, if we're supposed to eat chocolate or watch this ridiculous show and then we land it. And all of a sudden, we look to everyone else to go, did I do it?
1: <laughs> yes. It's like you know? when, kids, when kids fall and they don't start crying until they see the reaction from their mom, only it's the opposite. <laughs> it's like you don't celebrate okay. until you see the reaction from everybody else. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three year old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash mindlove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead
0: Totally. And so what I'm saying is like in every day, I invite myself to be all of those things, to be running, to be lifting off, to be in timeless confusion space where I just trust that my training has taught me how to move. I just trust that all my life experience will take care of me when I'm flipping through the air at some ridiculous speed. And I don't even know if I'm up or down. And then when I land, I don't actually have to look around to see what everyone is saying, I'm just going to feel it. I'm going to go, this is right. I did it.
1: What I love about that analogy too, is that even at the Olympic level, it's not like they learn how to land and then they land every single time. There is still ample amounts of practice where they're falling and they're getting back up and and they're just hoping to land once really is like the big show all the other times it's totally fine that they fall and they don't get back up and think oh my gosh well I just fell or I didn't hit this landing so I guess I'm not made for the Olympics they get up and try again
0: oh and Melissa when you slow those videos down now I'm gonna geek out on this really briefly but when you slow the videos down and you like pause it when the like Romanian girl just lands it she knows before the audience knows like her face she knows it the millisecond her foot like actually lands flat. And I think that's true for all of us. It's like, no, nope, got to do it again. Or, yeah, did it. But <laughs> in that, somewhere in between then and when the audience goes berserk is where we second guess ourselves. It's like, well, I feel like it's right, but they didn't cheer yet. Or I feel like this thing. So there's this gap of like the feedback. And see, the thing about the difference is those people are pros. Like you said, they know they're not going to land every single one. They've done it a bazillion times. The tricky part about life is we've not done it a bazillion times. This is our first cut at the cake. And so it's no wonder. It's absolutely no wonder that in that break in time and space, we feel so raw and scared and freaked out, waiting for the applause, because we've not done that a billion times enough to know this is just going to work out. And eventually you're going to know when you land it and you're going to feel it and you're going to be able to trust your feelings. And I think that that trusting your feelings piece, when you can get there, for me at least, has been the part that's like taking what I can do. And allowed me to do it 10 times faster and feel it 10 times deeper and find my people. It's trusting and living by the trust of that intuitive sense of this is landing. This is where I'm supposed to be.
1: It's such a great point because what I think one of the biggest problems is, is that so much of my life up until now it was like no one taught me how to look inward. You know, it's I'm just discovering that now. And it's kind of baffling that that isn't a huge part of education growing up. We're always <laughs> looking for the A on our paper or the applause or the reactions from other people or the likes on Facebook. We want what we want because other people want it and things are raised in value based on demand. And Rarely is anything like, well, just ask yourself and trust your own feelings and find your own footing. It doesn't, we're not taught it that way. And so it's interesting to me, I think that we can speed that process up. We can either be 50 or 60 years old and finally be understanding those things, or it takes a tragedy or a trauma to wake us up. Or we can Start to teach people younger than ourselves this now. Like, what are you feeling right now? After that success, what did you feel? Can you hold on to that feeling? My husband and I do that together quite often when something good happens. We'll sit down and we'll just close our eyes and be like, remember this feeling. Remember what it felt like so you can tune back into this when you need it. Otherwise, those feelings are a fleeting moment. And it's so easy to forget later on and just think like, oh, this is always going to be hard or this is always going to be difficult.
0: So I have two things to say to that. One is I love lyrics. I love music. I listen to music a lot. The other day I was jamming in the car. I was feeling like a little bit trepidatious about something I'm doing and wondering if it's The right thing to do. And this band called Alt J, and this guy says, You're the first and last of your kind. And it was one of those moments where I was like, Well, then, if not me, and if not now, then who and when? You know, like I am a point of existence in the universe that will never occur again. That's pretty boss, (laughs) you know? And this idea that every other person, you know, and we can put people on pedestals, but they're no different. They're the first and last of their kind. And so that really kind of jolted me into being like, all right, woman, well, seeing as you're the first and last of your kind, and I better go out and do this thing. And the other thing that I say to that is, I also have to remember that emotions are chemicals. And we can, you know, Just saying, take chemicals to change our emotions. (laughs) And so (laughs) conversely, sometimes I have to be reminded that this is a chemical reaction. Yes. Like in this moment, I am full of rage and I want to call this guy and be like, you know, screw your contract and you and every other given thing. But then sometimes the chemicals go away in 15 minutes. And I think, thank God. I didn't call that guy (laughs) and, you know, destroy a contract. So I think sometimes it's good to be reminded of like our infinite possibility and then temper that notion with this idea that emotions are chemicals. And if you wait long enough, clarity will settle in. And from that place, I think the very biggest and best things happen. Yeah, it's like.
1: A superpower, really, when you can understand that your emotions aren't who you are, it's so helpful in not identifying with them. Because when you identify with them, you feel compelled, like you need to act it out. You need to call and break that contract. But when you really look at like you're human as just the vehicle that's moving you through and Mm -hmm. emotions are kind of like our check engine light. So, when that thing comes on, it's not like you're driving on this road trip and all of a sudden a check engine light comes on and you're like, well, guess I'm not meant to do this. I'm turning around. My car is not as good as all the other cars. Totally. No, you just attend to whatever that is trying to signal to you. You might not know what it is right away, but it's your signal to stop and check in, make sure everything's okay. Otherwise, you're going to (laughs) explode. And going back to your point that we are the first and last of our kind. That's incredible, right? So we are these unique beings and there's never going to be somebody else exactly like me or like you or like anybody out there. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily keep us from comparing. Our self-worth really drives everything that we do because we're not going to take that risk or do that bold thing or ask for a promotion if we don't believe that we deserve it or we don't believe that we're capable of it. There's something that's going to hold us back there. And so just because I know that I am a unique individual doesn't mean I fully believe that I'm incredible. So for you, when you feel that imposter syndrome, when you wonder if you can actually handle this next step What do you do to talk yourself up and to remind yourself or really convince yourself in the first place
0: that you have the power to do that? Cool. So this is super counterintuitive, but it works for me every time. So anytime I'm feeling like I'm blowing it high dough, like which is a phrase from a Canadian song, when I think I'm going for all the marbles, like I'm out of my league or I'm taking on something big that I'm just like, you know, feeling very unsure. I pull up uh, the NASA app, compliments of the American government, NASA, as you all know. And I take myself into intergalactic space and I look at an image of like some ridiculous nebula, like named M528Z, double click. I don't even know, you know, (laughs) these crazy things way out in space. And I just for a moment am reminded of my total insignificance. like. A hundred thousand years from now, even a thousand years from now, the fact that Kelsey Ramsden existed on this micro planet in the middle of like a blip in time won't even fucking matter. So do I or do I not want to try this out? And really, like, does it matter? Not at all. Whether I win or I lose, actually, like the super best outcome is also insignificant. The only thing that this is about is seeing what I can do. And I know that sounds like totally crazy, but before I'm on on the wings of a stage of something I'm super nervous, it's like the biggest audience I ever did, or I'm about to take on financing for more money than I've ever been worth, some total in my whole life, or some other crazy thing. I just think, like genuinely, what is the worst that could happen? It's probably a lot less negative than I've made it out to be. It's so true
1: because I think a lot of what we worry about is how it's going to look from the outside. Like if no one was ever going to see my failures, it's so much easier to do them. But a lot of success is putting yourself out there and making what you're doing be known. And so then that, I think it, what a lot of people are most afraid of is not the damage it's going to do to their life as much as the damage it's going to do to their ego.
0: Yes. Hey, here's what being seen like really seen actually all the way for who you are that is the toughest thing going like you know you can make 20 million dollars a lot easier than you can to be like actually expose yourself to being seen and being seen for me at least is what's at the root of every single time when I'm scared as hell it's like people will know I actually want this People will see I'm unable to do this or I'm learning or people like whatever the case may be. But here's the trick with the sick twist is that the people that I look up to most or that I that society thinks are the most amazing, whatever, are all the people who are the most seen. There's like this real like tension point between like we want to be around the people who are the most open and honest and totally showing up. But we're shit scared to be like them. (laughs) And so I think, again, like in those really, really tough moments, I'm like, okay, everybody's going to see me. But, you know, that's really when we're most alive. And every great performance, like on a stage or musically or whatever, it's not when those people go and give it 80 percent. Like everybody's been in a music show where the person on stage is like, I've played this 9000 times. I'm just playing the song, you know, versus when they show up and they give you a, a show like they're with you and they give you everything. And it's like they're naked up there. The crowd is never more rigorous. And I think the same apl- applies to our lives, you know. Well, how do we make
1: sure that we maintain that enthusiasm for the same song that we're playing over and over again throughout our lives?
0: Yeah, cool. So that's the crux of the success hangover conundrum (laughs) It's like it's catch it before it's a problem. You know, it's like every form of health. Usually the drugs come long after the thing that we could have done just to stave it off. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as a prescription for the people who are listening, here's how you do it. You actually question whether or not you're doing something on autopilot. Like, is this the way I go to work because this is the most expedient? Does expediency like really super matter? What if I just went a little bit of a different way? Or do I order this coffee just because it's comfortable and it's the thing I always order? Or maybe I order it because it's what everybody's drinking and it's cool. Like to use some super basic examples. But it's really rare that we go back and we question the things that we stop making decisions on anything that's on autopilot you could revisit that start there and usually we find that there's a few spots that we're like oh actually it turns out i don't like that anymore i just was doing that cuz it's convenient and easy and it's just how it's always done when we start to recognize how much choice we actually have in our day that we're not even choosing we're just autopiloting that's the first step to go wait a minute i'm making choices all of the time and i i'm actually in control of the ship you see the first step is to recognize that you are the pilot and most of us get in to an autopilot and then the second step is to go okay every remarkable thing that's happened in our lives has happened we call it by chance right? You met someone at a party by chance. You found out that you love this thing because something by chance. But somehow we try and engineer everything remarkable. We're like, oh, if I do this, then that. Nothing remarkable happens that way. It's because it's a given that, You know, we already know. So we have to put ourselves in the way of chance. The way to do that is really very simple. There's three things you have to do. And there's a lot of neuroscience that goes into it and the book goes a bit into this thing that I proved out to be a reasonable theory. It's called the three E model. So in order for your mind to start rewriting new things, to come to be charged up again about the thing you always do, you have to engage in emotion. Yeah. So love, lust, fear, hate, those all work. And then you have to have an experience that could not be repeated the exact same way twice. So we're going to use your example in a second. I'll come back to it. And then the third is you have to embed it, E for embed, by telling another person in the old way of storytelling, like human to human. So a great example of something that can break you out of a traditional rut is like the first time you went skydiving. You had some emotion, excitement, fear, something. The first time you went out of that plane, you could never do that again. That was a first. It's never happening again. And then you shared that with another human, right? You got to the bottom and your eyes were popping out of your head and you were jumping around doing Melissa, like all excited, just like, (laughs) (laughs) right. So right in that moment, your brain was like, wait a minute, hard, write This pay attention. This is something put, jot this down. She's not doing this again. We got to remember this. Here's the other thing is that you couldn't have never predicted that exact outcome. So what happens, the older we get, the more we want to stay safe and the more we want to curate our whole life to be happy all the time, is we only engage at activities that we have this kind of known outcome for. So we shortcut something, actually. We miss out on every opportunity to bring our mind to attention, to be like, hey, wait a minute, she's doing something interesting. Jot this down. We just feed our brains a bunch of things that we already presuppose. So your mind is like, well, I'm taking this course. I know it ticks that box. I know it's going to get me here. I know I'm going to. So it's no wonder that we kind of get lulled into this like monotony, lulled into it. The super safe, outwardly successful, monotonous. It's like we've talked about this before. It's like being in the missionary sex of your career. (laughs) You know, it's like it's decent and it counts, but it's hardly memorable. (laughs) <laughs> and so to that, the trick is trying out a new maneuver in a way that we don't presuppose the outcome in a way where we actually have to be seen because we share it with another person and in a way where we try something that we may or may not love and that we could never do again. And so, to give all the listeners a tip of something they could do today, like an actionable way to start embedding this in your everyday, is write down a list of all the stuff that's on autopilot. So, the clothes that I wear, the way I go to work, the coffee I order, you know, the stuff I always order at a restaurant, whatever, how I answer my phone, the message that's on my phone. Like, there's a thousand things you've stopped deciding. You just do because that's how it's done. And then pick one and try something different. And so a great example for me is like, I like going to museums. Every time I go on holidays, I go to a museum. Last time I was like, I'm going to an art show. I don't know, feels like not too high risk, but I went there and I was like, I'm going to talk to this super arty way better than me person who's educated on smart art stuff. And I'm going to look like an idiot. And so I did. I said, (laughs) here's what I see. Here's what I see in this piece. And the person who looked all like New York and fancy and everything was like, I see what you're saying. I hadn't seen that before. And that's all they said. And I was like, sweet, I'm out of here. Done. <laughs> so, but what it did was the whole rest of that day, I actually started seeing things differently. I invited myself to take a new perspective that might be risky and actually talk to people. And it sounds like something so nothing and small. But if you practice these small moments of like taking the opportunity to challenge your own status quo, you'll get non-status quo outcomes. It's just a natural byproduct. And so for me, you know, discomfort is my jam. So I practice a moment of discomfort every day. It doesn't have to be discomfort, but that's what, how I know that my brain lights up. It's like, whoa, girl, hold on now. What are you doing? you know, you might get seen right now. And, uh, and so that's how I do it. And I've never felt more alive, more clear and more trusting of that landing. Every time I land it, I don't have to look around. I just know.
1: That's so amazing because I feel like, you know, there's such a power to routines, but at the same time, I have noticed I love my routines and having set routines helped me break all sorts of my previous, even dangerous addictions, get out of an eating disorder. It was like having the set routine. But what I started to notice was that then if somebody disrupted my routine that I was used to doing every Mm -hmm. single day, it could be the smallest thing. Like they used all of the flax milk and now I can't make my matcha latte. And right. So it would feel like the biggest deal in the world. But when you have the routines that do guide you in a way that, you know, you don't want to have to think so hard about every decision that you're making. Otherwise we wouldn't get anything done, but practice switching up one thing at a time, whether it's your way to work and you stop and talk to a shop owner or, Even just the little things, I mean, I was reading somewhere about using your other hand to brush your teeth, just the little things that that might switch a neural connection just a little bit, which might lead to an outcome later on in the day. So it's crazy how all those things are connected. So I love those tips.
0: Yeah, again, it doesn't have to be huge. and, And I totally agree with routine. I have tons of things that are routine. But the opportunity to witness the number of choices you're making And even the small things that call your mind to attention. Because look, your brain uses up 30% of the energy that your body expends. It's not taking up any more energy for shit that's just happening anyway. So it's no wonder when you're like, how can I not have a new idea? How do I feel so blase? Well, it's because your brain is just like, toss her into neutral, keep it running. So small, just tiny little hiccups. The best opportunity ever, and the best things happen to you that way. You didn't find out that you like flax matcha lattes until one day you stopped ordering (laughs) black coffee, right? Yes,
1: (laughs) that's so funny. Yes, I know it did did take a lot of trial and error to understand my love for flax milk. (laughs) So, thank you for pointing that out. Well, thank you so much for all the value that you gave during this interview you're constantly giving value in so many different areas. I love even all your social media posts. I'm just constantly inspired by the little insights that I get into your life. So for listeners who are also resonating with you, where is the best place for them to connect with you online?
0: Yeah, Instagram is probably my home. So at Kelsey Ramsden. And otherwise, you know, the mailing list is awesome, but infrequent. So if you join the mailing list and you don't hear from me, don't be surprised. But when you do, I'm going to blow your mind. (laughs) It'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) My non-routine thing. I actually committed to not routinely emailing because I was like, what if I don't have something amazing to say? I'm just sending some stuff for the sake. So I'm the non-committal mailing list person, if only to serve my sole purpose of of only saying things that I think I would actually want to say. So those are the best spots. Get on my non-committal mailing list and hit me up on Insta.
1: (laughs) All of the links in this episode, including a link to Kelsey's book, her website, and all of our amazing sponsors are at mindlove.com slash zero nine four. Oh, and isn't Kelsey just the best? There's something about her energy that I love so much. So I'm wondering, what resonated with you in this episode? What are you working towards right now? Is it in line with what feels really meaningful to you? Do you even know your values? When was the last time you checked in on those? Are they the same as they were 10 years ago? What's changed and what's holding true to that through line of your entire life? Like I said, for me, the one that really resonates through my whole life is freedom but also mindfulness and growth, although growth is kind of evolving to expansion right now and relationships. And one that I think is new, but it's something that I've discovered about myself over the last few years has been discipline. I find the most freedom through discipline, oddly. And openness is another value, although that is now evolving to spirituality. So check in with your values. Which ones have stayed true your whole life and which ones have evolved? Reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at MindLoveMelissa and I'd love to hear about them. Don't forget to share this episode and thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning
0: into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up.